Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Chris, you got sick uh, right after Sundance. How are you feeling? Uh, today is, is probably the best I've felt in a few days, but I'm still not a hundred percent maybe one day i will be in the <laughs> in the near future but for now i'm uh i'm i'm hanging in there i'm better than i've been at least man our whole staff is just like dodging sickness bullets like matrix or like neo in the matrix or something it's it's uh it's a pretty rough time for the slash film team right now but uh it's also a, coincidentally a pretty rough time in the movie news world there's not really much going on today so this is probably going to be a shorter episode of the podcast than normal but let's just dive right in with what we have uh brad tell us about i guess i guess set up quibi for maybe new listeners who don't know what that is and then tell us about a, a new show that we found out about recently Yeah, so Quibi is a new short-form streaming subscription service that is aiming basically to be like the Netflix of your phone. Um, They'll be delivering original programming ranging from uh, narrative, dramatic, and comedy shows to talk shows to various reality competition shows and pretty much anything you would see on TV. But they'll be delivering it in these episodes that are roughly 10 minutes or less. So Quibi stands for Quick Bites, and it is their intention to have bite-sized entertainment options available at your fingertips whenever you're out and about. Uh, You might have seen their Super Bowl trailer that played during um, the big game, and it gave you just a rough rough idea of what it's going to be. It will cost a little bit of money if you want to check any of this out. Uh, so yeah, it's supposed to launch on April 6th. Keep an eye out for that. And we've been hearing about shows that are going to be on Quibi for a long time. Uh, and yet another one was announced today. Uh, and this one sounds actually somewhat intriguing. Uh, it's called Die Hart, uh, H-A-R-T. And it will follow Kevin Hart as a fictional version of himself, who is sick of being a comedic sidekick alongside action stars and wants to be an action leading man himself. So he gets an offer to do a big action flick from some famous director 
And so he goes to an action training school in order to be better prepared for it. And his action school coach turns out to be John Travolta, uh, not the, not John Travolta in reality or fiction, but played by John Travolta. And the character is a complete lunatic. Uh, so, yeah, it sounds like an intriguing premise. Uh, the show will be directed by uh, Eric Appel, who's directed uh, episodes of great comedy TV shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Happy Endings, The Office, Silicon Valley. And it's got a script from Derek Kolstad, who has written the John Wick franchise, and Tripper Clancy, who uh, wrote last year's action comedy Stuber. Huh, that actually does sound like a pretty decent accumulation of talent there. Yeah, it's this is really probably the first time uh, that I've heard of something that I've been like, oh, you know what, that feels like it could easily work not only for this format, but be a relatively interesting premise for a show. At the same time, like, I've got to, I mean, I don't know if you guys have looked recently, but the list of content that Quibi has lined up, like, the list of shows, there are so many that feel totally fake. Like, there, I think uh, South Park did a bit several years ago where um, they called Netflix and everybody at Netflix just answered the phone, like, Netflix, your show's greenlit, like... The, the joke being that they would just greenlight everything and, and anything, and it feels like Quibi is, like, taking that and, and making it, like, exponentially more so. Just, like, any idea that anybody who's even remotely famous has seems like it's being turned into a Quibi show. So uh, this service is supposed to launch, what did you say, Brad, on April 6th? Is that right? April 6th. Yeah, April 6th is when it's supposed to launch. So I'm very curious to see what the response is, because I feel like this could be, you know, a game changer for the entertainment industry and like the way that everybody consumes media. And like this becomes, you know, an even bigger success than something like Disney Plus, or it could just be, (laughs) I don't know, something that like uh, everybody in Hollywood thinks is going to be something huge and then ends up not really making much of a ripple. But um, I, I mean, uh, Chris, you know, uh, post Gotti, are you interested in seeing John Travolta go nuts in a in anything, let alone a Quibi series? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm still not 100% sold on on Quibi, but I don't really like Kevin Hart, honestly. But I do think with the right material, John Travolta can actually be good still. I, I mean, he hasn't had that material in a long time. But I do think I will say I think it actually be, it would be a funnier show if John Travolta was playing himself like Kevin Hart was playing it. Like <laughs> if it was about Kevin Hart literally going to John Travolta and saying, teach me how to <laughs> be an action star. And John Travolta is just a lunatic. And that, that actually sounds like a better show to me, but yeah. All right. So we'll keep you guys posted with more on Quibi as we approach that uh, launch date. I'm sure news and stuff about that is going to be ramping up as we get a little bit closer. Um, one other story that I wanted to touch on is uh, Joker, the movie that has somehow has 11 Academy Award nominations, topping like more than any other movie this year, is going to be returning to theaters, but not really uh, as a traditional re-release, more like a live concert event. So you're going to be able to watch the movie and then a, a live or orchestra is going to be playing the score along with it. So this has happened with a bunch of movies before. Um, They do it pretty regularly here in LA. Um, I think Peter and I both have seen like Back to the Future and Jurassic Park and stuff like that at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, So this one is going to be kicking off in London on April 30th, and it's going to be going to uh, all throughout the UK and um, in Europe. And then they're going to be announcing more dates beyond that. So uh, I just wanted to throw it out to you guys. I know that for a long time there, we were very um, uh, 
uh, frankly tired of talking about Joker because there was so much made about that movie, you know, in the lead up to it and even like right around the time that it was released. But now that a little bit of time has passed, um, we're still talking about the movie, obviously, because Joaquin Phoenix is, is the front runner to uh, to win Best Actor at the Oscars this weekend. But now that a little bit of time has passed since Joker's release, um, has the movie uh, changed at all in your estimation? Is this a live concert um, something that you guys would be interested in seeing? Because I think aside from Joaquin Phoenix's performance, the score is like one of the big things that most people can agree, um, you know, regardless of how they feel about the, the rest of the movie, uh, most people can agree is uh, is a really like praiseworthy thing. So, um, Chris, what do you think? I mean, yeah, I, I, I do like this score. I don't know if this is the movie that deserves a screen like this, but um, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like, oh, what a travesty this is. But but like I, I wouldn't go out of my way to see it. I'll put it that way. Brad, what about you? I, I, you've seen a couple of these things, right? Like these live concert shows? Yeah, I've gone to uh, Back to the Future and Star Wars and Harry Potter, and I think that that's it. Um, but yeah, and they're very cool, uh, especially if you're you know seeing them with an orchestra that is uh, outstanding. I'm lucky enough to have the Chicago Symphony Orchestra playing near me. Um, and the, uh, the other one, one of the other ones I saw was the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra, and they were great. Um, I just the, the score is very good um, for Joker, but Joker just not a movie that I can see myself enjoying watching while hearing the score. I would just as soon just listen to the score and not have them show the movie. So maybe if I can go and put like a mask on <laughs> and not and I have to do it. Plus, my concern is that I'm going to be sitting next to some 44 year old dressed as a thrift store joker and it's just gonna piss me off <laughs> well maybe you can find a, a good clown mask and then they'll be thinking the same thing about you when they're sitting next to you at the theater so i'll just keep walking around and say, saying hey can you call me joker <laughs> <laughs> all right let's talk about our next item which is a new silent hill movie is apparently in development right now i never saw silent hill but chris it sounds like you did what do you make of uh, of the original movie and what do you think about this news um, it's pretty good, and this new one is being developed by uh, Christoph Gans, who directed the first Silent Hill. He did not direct its sequel, which is uh, atrocious, so uh, that's a good thing. Um, he gave an interview where he said he's he's developing both a new Silent Hill movie and a film based on uh, Fatal Frame, which is another video game series. So he's he's all in on uh, bringing video games to life, and uh, I think this could turn out well. I think the first Silent Hill is is pretty good. It has some script problems, but it has really great production design and it's, it's pretty gory and it's, it's mostly well-made. So I like the idea of him returning to this, this world and trying to do something new with it. But uh, at the same time, you know, it could always backfire as most video game movies seem to do for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Brad, are you familiar at all with Silent Hill? Did you see that 2006 movie? I think I did, but I honestly think that I've forgotten everything about it. Uh, and not necessarily because it wasn't good, because I do remember it being decent, um, but it's just been so long and I've only seen it once. So I just, yeah, I've got I've got nothing. I remember lots of fog from the trailer and maybe like Sean Bean is in it. Is that right, Chris? <laughs> he is in it. Sean okay. Bean is in the film. And he, he doesn't die for once, which is a twist. Oh, fantastic. All right. Uh, okay, um, so one other story, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because, frankly, I'm I'm kind of um, aghast at the very concept of this. But I wanted to mention for anybody who is watching The Connors on ABC, which is the 
sort of a continuation of Roseanne. Uh, next week, they're going to be airing a live episode of the show. Um, that in and of itself is not too far outside of uh, you know what I guess has happened before in in sitcom network sitcom history stuff like that. I remember Thirty Rock doing some live episodes back in the day. Um, so this isn't like breaking new ground, but. Next week, they're going to be airing a live episode that actually incorporates real-time results from the New Hampshire primary in an episode of the show that is basically, like, centered on politics. So one of the characters is supposed to be watching the primary for a school report, uh, and the Connor family, I guess, is um, is basically just going to be, like, <laughs> I don't know how, how, but they're going to be addressing the the real data as it's coming in on, on who is... <laughs> currently pulling ahead in this horse race and then sharing their takes on why everybody should vote and uh the press release says including their working class perspective that you may have to vote for a candidate you don't love but one that will screw you the least so um i mean like i said we don't have to spend much time on this but uh i just am kind of um baffled that they would try to do this especially with how poorly the uh the iowa caucus thing just went like the, i think the full results of that have still not been officially tallied so the fact that uh, a major network would be like all right let's put our trust in the fact that uh these results are going to be coming in on time and and we're going to be able to incorporate them into a live broadcast which is going to be performed twice once for the east coast and once for the west coast um seems like a questionable decision i guess i appreciate the the idea of like trying to convince everybody to vote because that is very very important obviously in an election year um well at, regardless but especially in an election year but uh guys any any thoughts on this am i um am i the only one who thinks it's kind of an iffy idea uh brad oh no it's a it's a bad idea especially <laughs> coming from a show like the connors which i i don't need to hear anything regarding politics about ever again um and yeah it's just it's it, it really it's just a gimmick you know i i can respect them maybe wanting to like you said you know push the idea of how good it is to vote um you know even if it comes with some salty sarcastic comedy from the writer's room of the connors um but you know i just just seems kind of pointless to me i mean like the idea of uh of class and the economy and stuff like that has obviously like been baked into that show's DNA from the start. But um, Chris, can you imagine people, you know, getting a, a lot out of this? Like this seems like something that the exact opposite of what, uh, what we consider the uh, like middle America sitcom loving audience wants, right? Like that, that whole, um, I guess the, the broad, uh, brush that we paint is that people at the end of the day just want to come home and watch something and turn off their brains and not really be engaged in that way and this episode is going to be like essentially doing the opposite of that what do you think about this yeah i i this is a bad idea i i mean i always think trying to turn politics into entertainment in any form is just a bad idea especially this election where I, I feel like everyone is on edge and there's so much riding on it and i really don't need this election to be turned into like a a goofy fun sitcom thing i just want it to be over and i i want the results to be better than they were in 2016 so i don't really want to watch the connor sitting around cracking jokes about this so but yeah you know, no. yeah i think that's a lot of the i'm right there with you in terms of like you know like bombshell and movies like that that are sort of um 
uh, fictionalizing or, or retelling like very, very recent history, like that, that Roger Ailes show on Showtime, like all of that stuff. It just kind of like, it's way too soon. I'm not really interested in, in relitigating a lot of that stuff right now. I mean, maybe with a little bit more uh, hindsight or something, I would be more open to it, but especially something you know, as it's actually happening real time, like, I guess it might be impressive if they're able to pull it off, but I just, I don't know if the audience for that show is going to be uh, psyched to spend whatever, an hour or half an hour, however long the, however long the show is with those characters, um, just like trudging through the political landscape as it currently is. So uh, anyway, let's move on to, uh, to a brighter topic. And that is, of course, the Fast and Furious franchise. So um, Brad, what is Vin Diesel out there talking about these days? Well, apparently, uh, he's hinting at the idea that they might turn Fast 10 into a two-part finale, which means we would get two movies. Uh, that would probably make the second one Fast 11, uh, but, you know, we'll just not worry about numbers at this point, because the Fast franchise doesn't worry about numbers ever. <laughs> yep. uh, so, so, yeah, Vin Diesel um, was discussing, you know, just the future of the Fast and Furious franchise after F9, uh, and he had said that he was already thinking about ideas for Fast 10 before they were even filming Fast 9. And he said, quote, the universe is so robust and so rich with talent and rich with story on one level. It's totally feasible to have spinoffs. And I think that's something that is inevitable. Universal deserves it because of how much they've invested in this little saga. And it'd be good to give back to Universal. And for the fans, should Fast 10 parts one and two be the conclusion, it would be nice for this world to continue for generations to come. Uh, so... That sounds like he's already thinking of Fast 10 as parts one and two, whether or not that's something Universal is aware of or if this is his way of pushing that idea upon them and uh, having fans show their interest in seeing Fast 10 turn into a two-part finale. Uh, that remains unclear. Vin Diesel's one of those guys, too, where he's rather overzealous when it comes to his enthusiasm for future projects that don't exist yet and always talks about them as if they're definitely happening. So, you know, if anything, this is just, just could be a pipe dream of his. Uh, but it does at least show that he is still interested in seeing the franchise expand. Uh, obviously, he wasn't too happy about Hobbs and Shaw because of his beef with Dwayne Johnson. But he still is very much interested in the female-centric spinoff that would focus on, uh, like, Michelle Rodriguez's uh, character and, and other female characters in the Fast Saga. So, you know, there's a chance that maybe the two-part finale of Fast 10 would open the door for it to continue maybe without some of the primary characters, but focusing more on some of the supporting ones instead. Whether or not that's something fans want to see, you know, is is up in the air, just because Vin Diesel is, you know, a big driving force of this movie, especially now that Paul Walker is gone. And I just don't know if Fast and Furious is that entertaining without somebody like Vin Diesel, you know, behind the wheel. Yeah, I think the future of that franchise is going to be interesting in terms of those spinoffs because of that, Brad, because like they're they're going to be losing, theoretically losing the core family unit that has appeared in the saga films. Um, Chris, I assume, and, and I may be wrong here, and please tell me if I am, I assume that you have like almost zero interest in a two-part Fast 10 movie. Am I, am I correct on that? Yeah, I don't hate the fast series i just never really got into it like as much as you know like you ben or other people like for me mission like the mission impossible franchise is my fast franchise but you know what if, if this i i wasn't i was i was out sick when that trailer broke but uh i was i was kind of happy to see everyone freaking out about it it made me feel good in the sense that everything is just so awful right now and everyone is just so miserable about so much stuff. And it was nice to have like 
an hour where everyone on Twitter was like, yeah, this is great. So, you know what? If if splitting Fast 10 into two parts makes people happy, go for it. I think it would make me happy as a, probably the biggest Fast fan on, on the Slash film staff. I Only if Justin Lin is back, though, uh, to direct both parts of it. Because, I mean, this is so Vin Diesel. Like you said, Brad, he's, he's one of those guys who really just, like, has such a big mouth and tries to to will projects into existence left and right but he's also somebody who really really loves long-form narrative storytelling like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that he uh when I was interviewing Chris Morgan the writer producer of a lot of these movies he would tell me about how you know he and Vin Diesel would would really like look at this whole fast saga almost as like a huge D&D type of game and like uh you know narrative arcs and all that kind of stuff like he's such a nerd about this stuff and so the idea that he's interested in extending this and and delivering fans like this epic two-part conclusion to this whole thing uh, is not surprising in the least. I think Universal would probably be really thrilled to hear that they'll be able to to get one more movie out of this uh, out of the main you know cast and all that stuff before they have to resort to Hobbs and Shaw and, and more spinoffs and stuff like that too. So um, yeah, if they can get Justin Lin on board, uh, if this trailer for F9 is uh, any indication, I am I am you know right there. I'm hitching my wagon to the back of whatever vehicle Justin Lin wants to drive off a cliff and out into outer space or wherever the hell they want to go with this thing. So uh, all right, let's talk about our last story of the day, and that is. Um, the Mandalorian might get some spinoffs. Uh, Chris, what do we know about this? Ah, uh, yeah. So yesterday was the the big Disney fiscal call, and it's it's always very very boring because everyone on those calls sounds like they're half asleep. But every once in a while, they they drop some news, and Bob Iger, uh, the big Disney head chief, big cheese guy, said. Um, he was talking about um, Star Wars and the future of Star Wars and uh, specifically the Mandalorian. And he said, quote, the priority in the next few years is television with the Mandalorian season two coming in October and then more coming from the Mandalorian thereafter, including a possibility of dot, 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 infusing it with more characters and the possibility of taking those characters in their own directions in terms of series. So based on that, it kind of sounds like he's hinting that, at two different things. One is that uh, more familiar Star Wars characters will be popping up in The Mandalorian, and two, those characters or possibly some other characters will be ending up spinning off from that show to their their own shows. Uh, did you ever catch up with The Mandalorian, Chris? I know you saw some of it. Did you finish the season? I did not. I think I watched like the first three, and then I was like, I, I don't really have any interest in this, so okay. no. Uh, Brad, I saw some people on Twitter. I don't remember who it was. I'm sorry if it's you, if you happen to be listening to this. Somebody suggests like, oh, I would follow, uh, I would love to see a spinoff about um, like Bill Burr and those guys, like that team that was part of the heist episode that came late in the season. Personally, I could not disagree with that more. I, I despised that episode and would I, I really hate most of the characters in The Mandalorian. So as somebody who likes the show a hell of a lot more than I do, uh, would you be interested in, I guess, those characters specifically getting spinoffs? And if not them, who, who would you like to see um, of the characters that uh, already exist in that world? Um, I'm not sure those characters really could sustain an entire series because they all are rather unlikable. Um, I mean, most bounty hunters are rather unlikable because they're bounty hunters and they're 
you know, mostly assholes that are just out for themselves and to get that bounty. So, you know, Mando is kind of an outlier in that instance that he seems to have a heart and cares for, you know, this little baby Yoda guy and whatnot. Um, If there's one character who I think I would like to see a spinoff for, it's Cara Dune, who is Gina Carano's character, because she is uh, badass. She clearly has a history with um, the the Rebel Alliance because she used to be a Rebel shock trooper. And so following her on adventures would, I think, be pretty cool. And it would give us another badass female character to follow who's just not a supporting character. Um, so, yeah, that's that's probably the one that I, I would be the most interested in seeing. Um, you know, IG-11 is a character who is fun, but I feel like would be difficult to sustain in, in an entire series. It wouldn't be um, a bad idea to see new bounty hunters introduced in The Mandalorian that could get their own spinoffs and then maybe you know, possibly get some kind of uh, Defender-style thing going where you maybe have several different characters who are kind of like these lone gunman-esque people who eventually have to work together in some kind of crossover series. That could be something that would be fun to see on Disney+. Mm -hmm. What about um, Giancarlo Esposito's character? Uh, Because he sort of like rolled in at the end of the first season, and I suspect we're going to learn more about his character in season two. Um, so I, I guess I guess it really depends on how deep into him they they start you know they want to explore in the second season. But do you think that there's because uh, he has the the dark saber at the end and there's I, I know people were like freaking out about that and there's maybe a whole thing you could do with like a prequel kind of thing about how he got that weapon and all that. What what would you think about that? Uh, yeah, it's I mean it kind of depends on what they do with him for the the next season. Obviously, he's going to be an integral part of what happens there because he has that dark saber and because he's after uh, the child. So I think it would depend on where that character ends up in future uh, installments of the Mandalorian. But there's there's plenty of stories to be told about the Mandalorians in general. You know, especially because we keep hearing about uh, the siege of Mandalore and we haven't seen it play out yet. Of course. We might see some more details of that when the final season of Clone Wars uh, comes later this month on Disney+. Plus. So uh, that there's a chance that maybe something that happened in that series could give us some insight into things we might see unfold in The Mandalorian as well. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Guys, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, Brad, let's start with you. Uh, I'm writing on the Connors now. We're doing a really fun episode uh, with the New Hampshire primary... <laughs> No, uh, you, you can find me on SlashFilm.com, uh, always writing there, and you can also find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, uh, and listen to my podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, on iTunes and other places podcasts are podcasts are available. Chris, how about you? Uh, SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.